passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18 that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind a Raw, the show where we rewind to be the beginning of Raw and we recap Raw. Hello, Way. Yeah, that's right. That's what we do. We rewind it. Yeah, mentally. Were there any points during this show where you said to yourself, man, I wish I could just rewind and watch all of this over again? Um, no. Um... Nope. I can't say so. I can't say I ever feel I rarely feel that way during a three hour show that I've been watching for the past eight years every Monday. Um, fast forwarding. Yeah. So maybe, you know, maybe that's a future uh, show that we could do. Fast forward to raw. Two X raw would be my preferred speed to watch this in. It would be great. I think that's really the future. Honestly, if that's like one of the upgrade options of the WWE network. $50 a month. Easy. Take my money. Yeah. I get two X raw every Monday night and I can finish it in a a fraction of the time. How was your weekend way? How was your, uh, how did you celebrate 4th of July? 4th of July. Um, didn't really celebrate. There were, there were some fireworks going on in, in my area on the 4th of July, not the first. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a weekend, so maybe that's why. Yes, just save up and blow stuff up on the weekend. Well, that, that sounds wonderful. Uh, did you get up to anything on your, on your Monday? Uh, yeah, we had a chat with uh, Emily Pratt. That is right. That is right. That's up on the site. I thought a really, uh, really interesting interview, uh, with Emily getting a lot of her thoughts, uh, about everything. And yeah, that's that's up on the site now. So if you want to uh, go check that out, a a Monday interview to kick off what is going to be a very busy week on the site. There's a lot coming up over the next uh, week. And we'll probably lay it all out a little bit later on. We will. Let's uh, start off with the news and then we will uh, shift focus to the site and some of the shows that we have uh, coming up. And we're going to start off um, with... Some comments made by Kelly Klein, formerly of Ring of Honor, and this uh, was posted on Monday afternoon, and Kelly Klein had written, when J-Rock harassed a female member of the ROH locker room, he was told to leave and was not welcome back. Multiple women brought complaints and evidence of sexual misconduct and harassment by Jay Lethal. ROH ignored, covered it up. 
They only take action when convenient. They are hoping to use another, in quotations, investigation to wait everyone out until we, in quotations, forget. Thank you, Ring of Honor, for all of the truly wonderful things you do and have done. Now, please address the bad behavior. Do better. Right now, you continue to choose not to. It's hard when your faves get called out. Imagine what it's like to be targeted, harassed by that person, and not protected because he or she is a favorite. People can be talented, friend to many, good for the community, and also take advantage of and abuse others, not mutually exclusive. In fact, qualities that make it hard to accept that a favorite could do something horrible are the things they use to gain access to victims and escape accountability. They don't usually wear a sign or broadcast their bad intentions. Now, both people here that she named uh, responded to this. Um, J-Rock, first of all, who had who had worked for Ring of Honor in the past, said, anybody who knows me knows who and what I am. I've made plenty of mistakes, never, ever maliciously. Lessons were learned professionally and personally. I would never upset or hurt anyone intentionally and work every single day to be better than yesterday. And that continues. Easy for cyber bullies to use their clout with half-truths and agendas. One person's harass is someone else's misunderstanding. But then again, when you're a bad human being yourself, you always assume the worst of anybody first. I made a bunch of mistakes there, but not that. And goes on to say, and in case that wasn't direct enough, I did not harass anyone. I did not even have an, an inappropriate conversation, period. Believe what you will from there. And then Jay Lethal, uh, this was just about an hour ago, uh, he put up uh, a lengthier statement here uh, talking about the speaking out movement and uh, specifically to what was alleged of him. He stated, I have never and would never sexually harass, sexually assault, rape, or force myself on anyone. I would never use my status to deny anyone opportunities. Even now, it pains me to know that defending myself might somehow tarnish an important movement and cast doubt on real troubling experiences. Um, so we have a case of you know more allegations being made and responses from two people named. Uh, my question to you, Wei, is more just uh, from the overall sense, if you feel that um, new allegations are going to continue to receive the same attention that we saw of weeks past. Is there going to be the same level of intensity that that we saw and and focus on these stories versus others that are going to be resigned to the fact that it is two sides of the story and that's kind of it both sides have presented their case and not really knowing what the next step is for so many of these cases where there are situations like this as far as you know intensity of allegations coming out i mean i i I don't know if we'll see something that'll match. I think, you know, how how many we heard in that short amount of time, just a, a little over like a week ago. But um, I think they will keep coming up because I think people are more comfortable now, hopefully, to, you know, talk about these things that I think have, have seemingly lingered for a lot of people for a long, long time. Um, you know, as far as like what a company can do about it, I feel like everything that's occurred right now has at least created maybe the beginnings of a system within each individual company to, you know, uh, be forced to create some sort of protocol and some sort of investigative team to think, you know, hopefully get to the bottom of exactly what is going on. Um, you know, it it's creating an environment that allows people to at least challenge what existed before. And man, it's like, 
will the truth ever come out with a lot of these things? I mean, so many of them are, are, are really so difficult. Um, Pro- probably not, Wait, There's yeah. probably a lot of these cases where it's not going to end with a this side or that side kind of uh, conclusion to any of it. There's going to be many where it's two sides of the story. And in, uh, like in this case, it's, you know, accusations being made and um, – you know, in J Rock's case, it's saying like it's uh, it was not the scenario that was laid out. It was a misunderstanding. And in Jay Lethal's case, like adamantly denying it, like it is c- completely a falsehood to be accusing him uh, of such. So, I mean, I I think that's the complicated nature that I, I think probably a lot of fans have of how do you view these people? Like there is not. Um, kind of an arbiter to just come in and make some ruling. And I think at times we lean on these promotions to at least somewhat serve as that. Uh, do you feel that by and large, like I feel these companies, they do have to be very transparent in actions that they are going to take in terms of a system, in terms of a protocol that performers can go through and and address these. And I understand the sensitivities that you you don't want to uh, paintbrush anybody if you don't have sufficient evidence. But at the same time, I think just as a company, as a whole, you do need to be coming forward with, okay, we understand these these stories. We are taking all of them seriously. And this is what, as our company, we are going to put in place, whether it is some kind of third party or at least some kind of system in place where they are welcoming people to come and confidently and confidentially uh, d- disclose stories like this and complaints. Absolutely. Yeah. I think any modern company anywhere in 2020 should have something like that in place, uh, especially if you're a professional wrestling company right now with any sort of like notoriety, it's, 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 I think especially important to be able to have your, uh, you know, employees come out for any really sort of like uh, human resources issue, uh, something to be able to, you know, get the proper attention, um, I, I think is important. And, you know, how many of these cases that have been brought up will, will we actually see like the truth of? I really don't know. But I, I do feel like the net effect of everything going on is a deterrent for future instances of things like, you know, what what, what people have been alleging uh, have, you know, will 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 occur. Uh, and, and then really that's it. I hope we get the truth of a lot of what's what's been laid out out there, but at the very least, I really hope feel like you know everything that's been said, everything that's been brought out there has really had made a difference for like how people might conduct themselves in the future. Like you, you certainly look that for people that are guilty, and a, like you, you want the the offenders to be as far removed from this industry as possible. But to me, the the longer term effect is that you want to have a a wrestling culture where as you said that people are not going to turn a blind eye to this if there are you know stories going around it's not going to be just brushed aside and people are going to be in certain uh, positions where they feel they are untouchable that there is going to be uh, the talent taking it upon themselves to clean up their locker rooms that they do not want that kind of uh, actions spreading around and that to be a, a reputation that the entire industry gets painted with. And that's somewhat the, 
I would say, especially for the European scene, that it's somewhat been painted as uh, coming out of all of this. Like this, that is a specific part of the wrestling industry that needs like a wholesale cleanup, and it's not exclusively there. There are certainly probably uh, much many other issues uh, throughout the any scene that you look at in wrestling, and I think that you just hope that long term there is going to be a lot more of a focus on this and not so much of a just let letting these whispers continue and no action taken. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, like we kind of got into this with, with Emily Pratt, but coronavirus has really kind of made things interesting where a lot of these companies really aren't operating shows yet right now anyway, but the moment that they are forced to what, how big will this story continue to be at that point and how much pressure will it be on them from the audience to make sure that everything's clean and that they, you know, um, ensure that it's a safe working environment for all those people involved. That's what it will come down to is like a certain amount of pressure to push um, promoters and, you know, people connected to, you know, put put those kinds of measures in place. And I, I do question that how many fans just, they don't want to think about this stuff going on in this industry that they enjoy following, that they don't want to think about the ugly underbelly to it. They just want to enjoy the wrestling. And are they going to dismiss a a lot of what's happened over, over this last period of time? Like this is kind of the period we're in now where it's okay. You've digested all of this information and now it's kind of the action phase. What is, what are the next steps going to be after people have, you know, seeing all these stories come out, that's, that's where I'm at right now of where the next steps are so that we're not looking nine months from now. And this was a horrifying period, but the industry kind of just went right right back to the same way it had operated prior. And we don't see those kinds of changes. Yeah. I mean, what do you think is the key to ensuring that it's still, I don't know, important for people to talk about? I think, I, I certainly feel that there is much more confidence in in speaking openly. That the the fear of speaking out has lessened because of just the, the sheer volume and in, in numbers over the past few weeks. I do believe that by and large, a lot of performers I think are going to take a lot of this stuff more more seriously and be. I, I think the locker room leaders will really step up once we get shows that are back regularly, especially on the independent level. Beyond that, I I think that there is going to be a reliance, though, on the industry having to police itself. And I don't know how many people are comfortable with that, given what's happened up to this point. But we're talking about, especially at the independent level, these are not companies that have all these resources to implement like an HR department to hire people specifically for this function. And that's... That's to me the ideal scenario is that there's at least some kind of third party involvement, whether it is just an outlet that all of these independent promoters can go through. But that's it, it's it's a complex system to try and see how how do you oversee an industry that is spread out across the world. Um, these are performers that are independent contractors. It's it gets more difficult once you try and narrow in and specify you know specific uh, measures in place and and i hope that those are the kinds of ideas and thoughts that get presented now that we have this time to look at this industry before all of these independents come back uh what kind of industry are they coming back to well i think that's a really interesting conversation to potentially have with like people who run indies 
and, and you know how how they might be thinking about it because like you said it's like it's not realistic i would say for a lot of these smaller companies to like hire a whole board or or any sort of people just to specifically oversee something like this it's going to be something that has to be like police within the culture itself mm-hmm. and uh, you know i'm really curious to know what some of the indie promoters that are out there how they like where a lot of these problems are are are, are really like springing up from how they intend on fostering that community so um, this is obviously a, a subject that you know we'll con- we'll continue to, to look at and cover because it's to me it's only in its infancy in terms of um, you know what ne- needs to be done ultimately. Um, late on Monday, uh, Ryan Satin at Pro Wrestling Sheet had a, a new story out that after the tapings last week, where they went through another set of COVID nineteen tests, uh, there were more positives, and Ryan Satin is reporting that from what we've been told. There have been at least 30 people in total at the PC who have tested positive for the virus over the past three weeks. This includes behind-the-scenes workers and in-ring talent. Uh, He goes on to say, our sources also note that the company has administered nearly 1,500 tests since they began testing for COVID at the end of June. Uh, that is that is a staggering number of tests that they have conducted uh, in a very short amount of time. Uh, but also that is a lot of positives where he is pegging it at least 30 people. I mean, it seems to match the, the, the numbers I've heard kind of swirling around. Um, it's incredibly alarming. Um, I mean... But the shows are still continuing, and I, I imagine the shows will continue, even if we get more after this. It's like, I, I you know, I, I don't see them stopping really uh, as long as they can go. Yeah, and in, and in some cases, there are people that are absolutely vital to producing this three-hour show. Because seriously, if you pluck out Ric Flair from tonight's show, Raw is a completely different episode. I think. You know, at some point, it's like. It's really, you can't really, there, there's so much you can say. Like, I'm sure Ric Flair himself is well aware of all the all the concerns people have around him. Um, yet, for some reason, you know, um, he still chooses to be in those backstage segments. Uh, we, will, we will get more into uh, who was on Raw, who was not on Raw. Uh, but someone who was, was Rey Mysterio. And Dave Meltzer had a very interesting report that Rey Mysterio is currently working without a WWE contract. We had spoken about this uh, previously when they did the angle with Seth Rollins that, you know, his deal was coming due and it was going to be a very interesting negotiation process because six months ago, way he would probably stand to have cashed in huge in what could have been and maybe his final wrestling contract. He's 45 years old now, but... His contract, unfortunately, the timing was really bad for him because WWE is in a much different position now when it comes to uh, what what they're offering. And he is, you know, uh, as a last word, working without this contract and now is set up for the horror show at Extreme Rules, the pay-per-view. And what? They changed the order? Which? So I thought it was Extreme Rules, the horror show. Now it is the horror show at Extreme Rules. Oh, okay. That changes yes. everything. And boy, did we have some uh, 
some hits and misses when it came to the talent having to try to get this mouthful out on on Monday. Um, but first of all, your thoughts on Ray, A, working without a contract, and B, what is what are his options right now? Oh, man, Ray Mysterio. Uh, well, him working without a contract, I, I, I do find it fascinating because he's, he's in such a high-profile program right now on Raw uh, and, you know, scheduled to pretty much appear on every episode leading up until the pay-per-view and... Which are taped I mean, now. Which are taped now, sure. Uh, but if, it, like it's 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 just seems like it's a case of a contract running out at a time that maybe they didn't they would have expected to have signed a new deal with Ray by now, uh, but they haven't, and it just feels like a bit of a public game of kind of like hardball between the two. And I would say the major, you know, chess pieces that are on the board for everybody is um, aside from Ray Mysterio's, you know. Um, um, I guess co- the the other competition that are offering Rey Mysterio uh, potentially contracts of which I would say pretty much anybody, but you know, primarily the ones with the most money and that would be AEW. Um, I imagine like new Japan would love to have him back, but you know, for uh, an amount that I think he would probably ask for, I I'm kind of doubtful about that. Uh, to me, like the only real competitor might be AEW at this moment, but you know, the, the, the big thing that I'm sure is is on Ray's mind is what the future might be for his son mm-hmm. Dominic and you know what AEW may be able to offer him versus potentially burning a bridge with the WWE where you're you're already fe- you know your son is already being featured in the main program right now with Seth Rollins so uh all these things I'm sure are, are kind of weighing on him and ultimately I do see Ray just signing back with the WWE um probably you know it's just a matter of like how much money right now and he's probably not getting what he wants uh, and I, I, I mean, who knows, but I, I do see him sticking with the WWE. Yeah. Dominic to me is the interesting piece in all of this because you remove Dominic from the picture. I think that AEW is incredibly attractive, um, as an offer, you know, based on their moves that we've seen over the past month, it doesn't seem like AEW is hesitating to sign people. And I think they would bend over backwards to get Rey Mysterio. That would be a... I'm not going to say game changer, but he'd be a very big pickup for them just with what he would bring to the show every Wednesday, the opponents you would have, and he would be treated like a legend in that company. So I could see that being extremely attractive to him. I think the most likely outcome would be kind of the idea that we threw out earlier when we talked about this would be, I think it'd be very, it'd be a mistake to sign a long-term deal with WWE. But I think your meeting uh, halfway would be to sign a one-year contract or something short-term. And then when things get back to normal, they can sit down and then Ray talks about what the final year or two of his career is going to be like. Uh, he's 45, though, so time is is not on his side. Um, but he's working at an incredible level, so it's it's not to suggest that he's on his his last legs either. Perhaps this guy is going to g- get another three years out of out of wrestling. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but I, I would see that being the compromise: is sign, sign a short term deal, and then he becomes a very in demand free agent a year from now. These leverage points are are incredibly important, especially when you're trying to go up against the WWE in negotiations, and you know for Rey Mysterio to to have his contract run out at this point, even during coronavirus, I mean, I I imagine it gives him, I I would say, probably a great deal of 
I don't know, probably comfort or not necessarily comfort, but like power in being able to determine how he, you know, might get treated in a storyline, how his son might get treated in a storyline. Now, like it's certainly up, up, you know, in his advantage to maintain that position of power for as long as he can, because who's to say if he signs a five year contract that they will continue to book him well, that they will continue to book his son well um, and not just, you know treat him like they treated him for the better part of like the better the, the the year and a half that he had uh it's only like it feels like in recent months that they're like really taking him seriously and you know same with the son like who you know uh, dominic would not be bu- receiving a push right now if ray Mysterio w- was not attached to the deal of course and will that continue if you know ray was in in this locked up yeah, all all great questions. It's a really it's very interesting and it's very unlike WWE to be uh having someone in in such a a high profile role without a contract at a time when I mean it's incredible trust that they must have in Ray and I would say that I, I would not expect Ray to be uh, doing anything radical during this time period but I mean this is WWE that has you know they look at the contracts they were thrown out a year ago just for you know the the thought of an undercard performer going over to AEW and here you're talking about Rey Mysterio who man if a- if AEW is going to make like a-, a big purchase that would be one of the guys that y- you would you would justify throwing a lot of money at uh yeah absolutely i mean from WWE's perspective and really from Rey's perspective if there's any argument that they can't afford these contracts right now i think you know you can easily call bullshit on that when you consider that this is going to be their most profitable year ever so i'm sure ray knows that um it's it's more so wwe not wanting to upset their salary structure but i mean if you're ray mysterio you, who gives a shit about that right wwe uh, and ufc say hey we're in a pandemic here man our hands are tied i mean oh, it's please. it's pretty rich it's pretty rich literally um so anyway that is the uh the saga involving uh ray mysterio uh jorge masvidal has passed his first COVID-19 test uh, where he had to go to Las Vegas to pass that test and was set to go to Abu Dhabi today. And he is inserted into the main event of UFC 251 this Saturday, replacing Gilbert Burns, who we talked about on Friday, had tested positive for the virus. So it will now be a much bigger main event with Kamaru Usman against Jorge Masvidal. This fight came together on Saturday. And as of Saturday, he weighed 192 pounds. So he's got to cut... 22 pounds this week on top oh of fl- God. flying to Abu Dhabi and there's quarantines in there as well. So it's, it's not like a traditional fight week where, you know, 22 pounds is not out of the realm of what a fighter has to cut, but it's on top of everything else. Um, it, it's at a camp th- though, like with, uh, with no camp prep. Yeah. I oh mean, there's, God. he's a three to one underdog and I don't think that's outrageous. Um, that said, I, I don't think this is a fight you can um, discount him in either, but it's he's going against a, a very, very tough opponent in Kamaru Usman, who is an awful style fight for most of the welterweights. Well, I will say, you know, at this point, like being as, as much of an outsider to, to the whole MMA uh, UFC scene as I am, like my interest as a result of all these changes in this entire story has definitely like, you know, perked up. Um I mean, stories make fights, styles make fights, but I mean, stories also make fights. And to have like the whole scenario played out here with like the hot button topic of the year in, in COVID-19 playing such a big role in it um, and really like, you know, 
the whole crazy idea of like flying fighters out to an island, like it, it's definitely making this entire um, fight and, and this entire card a bit more uh, in the mainstream consciousness. So, I mean, either way, I, I think it, I predict this, the show will probably do really well. I think it's going to do tremendously well. Um, I, I think this is going to be a really, really big fight card on Saturday. So, yeah, there's three championship fights. And uh, later on, before the end of the show, uh, Phil Chertok is going to stop by and he's going to tee up what we have planned uh, for our UFC 251 coverage uh, coming up uh, later this week and on Saturday night. So stay tuned for that. I also want to make uh, a quick correction from uh, Friday after uh, when we were doing uh, Rewind to SmackDown and we were talking about the, the Elijah McLean story the the three officers um that were fired uh they were the one they were not the officers that uh stopped Elijah McLean they were three officers that went to uh the the site of where uh, there was actually like I, I think a memorial set up for him and these were three separate officers that took a photo like reenacting the choke uh and they were fired uh Still a horrible story, but three separate officers. So I just want to make that uh, correction from Friday. Are you ready, Way, to look at this week's schedule uh, on the site? We won't go through everything because there's there's quite a bit here, but uh, some of the highlights. Yes. So on Tuesday night, you and I are reviewing an episode of Lonesome Dove from December of 1995. This was selected from our good pal, Jay Hunter from OSW, and this features Bret Hart as Luther Root. I have watched this episode. I I don't know what this podcast will sound like on Tuesday night. I don't know what we're going to talk about. Uh, I'm going to try and make sense of this with you. I'm going to guess that you, like me, have never watched an episode of Lonesome Dove in your life prior to this week. Never, never, ever, ever. I haven't seen the miniseries. I haven't seen, um, I guess, if there's a film. I've never, never Lonesome I've never dove into the lonesome. <laughs> That's pretty good. I, I have never gone into a show way where I know so little about the subject matter that I'm going to be talking about, but somehow you and I will navigate through this, uh, this review. This, this might be our worst rewind away ever. And maybe that's the appeal right off the bat. Um, well, do join us. I mean, lonesome dove fans, please love to hear from you. Uh, if you exist out there, <laughs> all I know about this thing is that Brett, um did this uh what is it after the summer slam is that right he took some time off uh yeah i mean this was in 90 not 95 yeah so he he had been trying to break into acting at the time brett's a cowboy um really that's all you need to know like we're 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 in this to watch brett hart act okay that's 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 all we really care about with an accent that's right. Yes. Uh, so th- that that will be dropping on uh, ca- Tuesday. I'll be putting my cowboy hat back on to talk about Cow- Cowboy Bret Hart. Cowboy Wei Ting returns to his Luther roots on Tuesday night. <laughs> uh, also on the Up Next feed on Tuesday, Braden Harrington and Nate Milton are reviewing Hamilton. I got a text from Braden last week that said, hey, for your update next week, me and Nate are reviewing Hamilton. I didn't know what this meant. I have heard of Hamilton. I know about the musical. You thought Hamilton. it was a city. Uh, no, I knew. I was just like, how are they reviewing <laughs> Hamilton? Because all I know of this is as the musical, and I know for damn sure Hamilton is not a, a, a Broadway 
uh, play that you're able to go watch right now. Um, however, now it is. It's now on Disney Plus. So that is where these two are watching it. And we'll be reviewing this on the Up Next feed. And I hate musicals, but maybe I'm going to listen to this. I mean, I definitely want to watch Hamilton. I, I mean, it's it was all the rage on 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 the internet this week. But um, I'm after I watch it, I will definitely listen to their review. Wednesday, we've got our reviews of Fighter Fest and Great American Bash Week Two. That will be up on on Wednesday night. Thursday, we've got a uh, UFC 251 preview show, as well as the British Wrestling Experience. They will be continuing to talk about the speaking out movement and many other subjects to come out of that. We're live on Friday night with SmackDown at 10:15 Eastern Time for all patrons. Saturday night, it's our UFC post show, and Sunday for patrons, we will be doing a post-show after New Japan's Dominion card. And Wei and I have enlisted the help of Mr. New Japan Cup at postwrestling.com, Mike Murray, who will be joining us Sunday night. Uh, we'll go through some of the highlights of Saturday uh, and the big Master Wato versus Doki match, which is the unofficial main event, and then a thorough review of Sunday's Dominion card uh, featuring three title fights as of now. Yeah, wow. So that and the UFC, three title fights. Three title fights. Uh, that's the way to go. And I, I hope that uh, Jorge Masvidal doesn't have to step in for Shingo Takagi. I would love to watch that, actually. Worked or shoot. I think that would be fun. Uh, yes, I, I look forward to chatting with Mike about uh, uh, the New Japan Cup as well as Dominion. Uh, the first New Japan shows with a partial crowd. Yes. So that will be... Uh, very interesting to watch how uh, New Japan uh, returns to having fans uh, this coming weekend. So uh, all of the shows, you can see the uh, lineup at postwrestling.com. As we mentioned, the Emily Pratt interview is already up. And as well, uh, worth your time to go check out. Uh, Andrew Thompson did uh, an excellent report over the weekend detailing uh, Saiv Al-Sabah's exit from MLW. And there's a lot to this story involving uh, the promotion, the Team Vision Dojo. And uh, I just thought Andrew did a really very thorough, fantastic reporting job on this story over the weekend. So uh, take some time to go read his report from this past weekend. Raw from the Performance Center, yet again. We start things off way with Drew McIntyre coming out. And they are immediately hitting us over the head it is the horror show at Extreme Rules. Now, what would what would facilitate a change like that? Like what? Like what? Who sits what down it, and says, "You know what? All our marketing for this is wrong. We've got to re, we've got to pronounce it." And and this is the order of words. It's no longer Extreme Rules, the horror show. This pay per view is missing the word at. We need the horror show at Extreme Rules because without it, people are going to say Extreme Rules, the horror show. They're not going to know where the horror show is. The horror show is at Extreme Rules. I've heard theories that, you know, the reason why they went so hard in the whole great greatest match ever thing was some reason to do with SEO. So, like, if people typed in greatest match ever, greatest wrestling match ever, they would <laughs> find Edge and Norton. Um Please tell Fine. me Vince McMahon is getting taught what SEO is in 2020. I, I would love to know, I don't what, know what those meetings go like. But, but you know, I, I don't see how that would really apply for something like this. Uh, I don't know. I can't begin to explain. 
I can't. I, I, I can't. But that is that is the the naming convention for this pay per view coming up in a few weeks. I'm I'm now looking forward to what they they call like what 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 SummerSlam going to be. I mean, it's everything's got to have like a sub theme to it. Yeah, clearly. So Drew McIntyre is out, and all he wants to know is the stipulation that he has allowed Dolph to choose. He suggests matches such as um, a match at the edge of a cliff, one overlooking a volcano with sharks and laser beams, which to me are all ideas that are fair game at this point that would not stun me for any of these cinematic matches. I could see a laser shark match at some point. Ziggler comes out and says the stipulation is a secret. He won't reveal it before the show. Drew says, or sorry, Dolph says it was very dumb of Drew to give him this option. I would say it's pretty dumb to have a stipulation that you're not going to announce until you've bought the show. Yeah. (laughs) Drew tells him, I am the WWE freaking champion. And then Dolph brings up how, what happened between 2014 and 2017? It's a blank page. Uh, what what an f you to what an f you to the company they just bought. Yeah, an impact, poor impact. Drew says, "I'm proud of my road back to WWE." He goes over beating Brock Lesnar and Big Show at WrestleMania. Dolph says, "You left people behind. You stabbed them in the back." And I've brought out one of them and out walks Heath Slater with his free agent t-shirt. And Tom, Tom Phillips has seen a ghost and just says, I thought Heath Slater was fired. Slater gets into the ring and he proceeds to tell Drew that I've known you for over a decade. Um, I misspelled Drew here. So I'm just going to imagine that Dr. Dre is getting the riot act read to him by Heath Slater. He says that drew, when you were fired, I was the first one to call you. And I called you every single day. And when I was at home at WrestleMania, I was with my kids watching WrestleMania. I cried. I cried when you won. It was the first time my kids saw me cry. So when I got fired, where was my phone call? You were my brother. Where were you when I needed you? And you and I haven't spoken since the bump, the one show I was allowed to appear on with you. And I didn't have 22 kids, but I have two girls and I'm fighting for them. I was there for you. You weren't there for me. And you told me on the bump that you would petition to have a match with me. Well, now I'm unemployed and I'm here to take that opportunity and I want to face you. And Drew doesn't want to fight him. So he shoves him. Then he slaps Drew, and Drew agrees to the match. This was the best promo of Heath Slater's career without any second-place finish. Uh, what did you think about this opening to Raw? I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a great surprise. And, you know, work shoot is often, at this point, really overdone. But this felt absolutely perfect. Um, and Heath Slater cut the like cut this promo as if it was his last and he just went out there like not not playing any sort of character other than his real life persona as a guy who 
just lost his job. And, you know, who knows at this point if like how many of these guys are going to be hired back, what they've said to these guys in private, I don't know. But the guy came out here with a fantastic story, much in the same way Drake Maverick was able to use all that and turn it into, uh, you know, a pretty interesting storyline. Uh, you got the best segment of Heath Slater's life here. So they go to break and I'm just like, that was an awesome setup. It's like, you, are they going to tease this all show long? Like, what are they going to do? Dude, we came back from break. The match is starting immediately. They're in their street clothes. Heath goes to take his shirt off and is hit with the Claymore and pinned in 24 seconds. I could not believe this. I could, I could just could not fathom that they did such a great job building a 24-second squash. This didn't really surprise me that much. I mean, I I'd never for a second thought they would have headlined the show with somebody who, you know, is, is about to leave. Well, is technically still employed, but, but you know, very much on – like in somebody on the level of Heath Slater, I didn't really see this. It, it, it kind of just – Played out the way I, I mean, I did expect it a bit uh, to be a bit more of a of a fight, but ultimately this was Drew McIntyre who they view as such a high level, and the guy who you know, like, makes like their comedy guy. So you know, despite they the they did a promo, better job. They did a better job building up Heath Slater than they've done in weeks with Dolph Ziggler. I was way more interested in this than I've ever well, been in Drew and Dolph Ziggler. Not because you believe Heath Slater's story. Like he's speaking from, you know, a position of reality. Dolph has really no story, no real anything. So, I mean, that that was a major difference. Um, but overall, I, I the promo I thought was fantastic. And the, the idea of bringing Heath Slater back just for a segment like this, it was really different. It felt real. And if it was a goodbye performance from Heath Slater, like, I mean, he went out, you know, uh, with his best shot. I'm just surprised they went to this extent with him. Like for him, it was great that he got this promo because if it was just to come in and lose to a guy in 24 seconds, I, I don't know why he would even, you know, be, be up for that. But the promo, um, you know, this, this was for the promo, the promo was, you know, key. And that, I mean, it's, it's rare that they allow a guy just to go out and have a promo like that. And also to promote the bump. I mean, this was the best advertisement I saw for the bump. The one I thought for I sure they play. I thought for sure they were going to play the clip before the yeah. match, because yeah. I guarantee I you, many people did not see that segment. And I think, like, how many people even know what the bump is? That is just your raw viewer. Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I don't think they ever mentioned it too much. Um, but you know, I I don't know how much of this was even honestly planned, and how much of it really came from somebody like Heath Slater's mind, it felt that genuine and uh, it was great. I mean, if only all wrestling promos could sound like this, like, you know, just built off of whatever reality is going on in their lives. There really is so much more better story to be told. Um, But, you know, they did, did it not paint, did it not paint drew in a bit of a negative light? Like that's an asshole thing to him. He hasn't called him in this whole time. Oh, yeah. Drew never really, like, redeemed himself, I would say, after this. Like, not only did he basically agree pretty much, he did had no comeback for, like, the reasons why he never called his friend back after he was let go. He just, you know, gave him a shot and then took him out in 24 seconds while never breaking eye contact with his real opponent. So, yeah, he is a bit of a shitty friend. 
Like maybe if he just said like I had a new phone and I ha- I didn't have your new number or um I I don't have a computer anymore. I mean, I mean there's there's no way out of that for for Drew. I mean I thought it painted like <laughs> Heath Slater was like the total sympathetic baby face, and I don't know of if that course. was the uh, uh, intention given how strong they they have been paranoid to do anything that that would compromise Drew McIntyre. Like they've gone to an insane degree to protect him, and they really painted him as a dick here. Well, this would be one that would have been really interesting to see in front of a crowd because I think for sure Slater would have received huge applause. I think he would have anyway, but like especially in a scenario like this, Slater would have received huge, huge, huge ovations. And whether or not that would have meant Drew would have received booze in return would have been really interesting to see. He would have gotten just the pop of you know walking out and it's someone that that's not on the or that that they know the story of i do worry that in front of a an audience it would have been drowned out by the he's got kids chant and might have taken away from the seriousness because i think the silence actually helped because he heath was great in the segment i I thought you know a, a career best promo by leaps and bounds sometimes like when guys have like you know performances like this. I mean, we saw almost with, with Drake Maverick, even in the form of his like home shot video on the day that he was let go, it really lets them like have a second look at them and, and really lets them reconsider. So he like he's later to me wouldn't really be surprising if he was brought back in. Very possible, especially after a performance like that. So Afterwards, Drew tells Ziggler he's going to kick his ass at the pay-per-view. Ziggler then slaps Slater around, and this allows Drew to redeem himself by saving Slater. And as Ziggler takes off, Drew pulls up Slater. Slater is in tears, and the two men hug. And Slater was very forgiving here. That was the redemption. He, like, came in and saved him. Um, You you, you can pick me up, but you can't pick a phone up. (laughs) Yes. So that was it. I was like, wow, I have never seen a 24-second match built up better th- than that. I just – I think they could have gotten a lot more out of this, but maybe they did not anticipate getting the level of performance they did from Slater. I think in their minds too, it's like why would we give a guy who's about to leave you know, a lengthy match with our champion? Why give him a lengthy promo then? Like that to me was what you know makes this guy a really uh, – a bit of True. a commodity coming out of this. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like he could have come, he could have just come out with Ziggler acting like a cocky asshole and gotten beat like MVP's gotten a million times. And it could have instead, like they really gave this guy a spotlight and he delivered, completely delivered. So I thought this was great for Slater, even with the loss. Uh, Schreiber is backstage with Bailey and Banks saying how Raw's gotten off to an emotional start and they're going to go out and talk to the world rather than with Sarah Schreiber, not realizing where this backstage interview is uh, being sent to. Asuka just laughs at the suggestion by Schreiber that she is all alone against Banks and Bailey tonight. So Bailey and Banks are in the ring. They're cutting a promo. And there was two painfully obvious edits here as Bailey had to say the new branding of the pay-per-view. And it was one of those just clunky edits to make it sound normal. And then Sasha said something about Asuka not being Raw Women's Champion after Extreme Rules, and they had to edit the hell out of that as well. So it just seemed like they were tripping over their words or something here. Asuka comes out to run them down. Bailey says that Sasha is ready to face anyone that Asuka has. What a what a stupid offer that she made. And out walks Kyrie Sane to set up Sasha Banks and Kyrie Sane. 
Yeah, the first time we've seen Kyrie since the uh, Nia Jax injury. And they proceeded to have a a two-segment match. Uh, Sane was attacking her with a barrage of strikes, and then Banks takes over, and Sane tosses Banks to the floor, hits a sliding drop kick to both Bailey and Banks. They go through the break. Uh, Banks then hits the knees off the turnbuckle. She tries again and misses. Sane hit this flying forearm off the top and then uh, continues with a spear. They're trading near falls. And then Banks misses the Meteora. Sane rolls almost like she's going for a half crab, but instead uh, she uh, crosses the legs. And at 13 minutes and 23 seconds of TV time, Bailey runs in for the DQ attacking Kyrie Sane. I was definitely like confused why they didn't just have Banks win, considering you know she's going for the title and Kyrie really is doing nothing right now. I think it made a little bit more sense with the tag title match announcement a little bit later on. You know, despite the lack of finish, I definitely enjoyed the match. To me, like it's this is one of those matches where I really am disappointed that we didn't have a better atmosphere with a full crowd for something like this. At one time, really, this could have been and really still is a dream match, you know, between two of the top female wrestlers in the entire world. Um, you know, with rumors that Kyrie might be done coming up, I, I'm glad we at least got it when we did. And I really am glad that we got to see Kyrie as a babyface come back here. You know, ever since um, Asuka won the belt, she, that was kind of her unofficial turn. And so we saw Kyrie really, I think, do the thing that she does best as a wrestler. And that's, you know, those fiery babyface comebacks where she's just so good at it. It's really a shame that they never really used her to this full potential while she's been on Raw. After the match, there was a two-on-one attack on Asuka until Sane hit both Bailey and Banks with the insane elbow, and then they would be figured into the uh, the main event, which they had advertised ahead of time with Asuka and Bailey. And while we're talking about – oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, it's crazy because, like, Ky- like, Sasha, in the course of, like, three weeks, has, has now, like, faced Theo, has faced Kyrie, and is about to face Asuka. Mm-hmm. So she's really, like, honestly, like, on fire right now and uh, having the best opponents to face to boot. Uh, since we were talking about Sane coming back, just to uh, look at the attendance on this week's Raw. So these were the tapings that were done on Friday. Um, so this week we saw Kevin Owens back. Randy Orton was back and uh, Kyrie was back. Um, but ones who we did not see this week, the Street Profits were off. Uh, Natalia was not on tonight. Uh, Austin Theory was off. No Shelton Benjamin, no Nia Jax, no Liv Morgan, and um, no Shayna Baszler, but she was on these tapings um, on Friday. She was on the main event tapings. Um, well, she was there Friday, yeah. So um, ones on who were the event, right? Uh, she did do a uh, match for main event. Yes. Oh, God. Um, so sad. Uh, Lana and Umberto were on last week's show, but not there this week. So not sure what any of these mean, but that's, um, yeah. Could mean a that few, they're a- just not booked. Could mean something else. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. But the notable ones that weren't there uh, for the last set, but were back included Owens and Orton. So those are two big ones that were back. Uh, we continue on, and Alistair Black is backstage. Uh, for the first 30 seconds of this beatdown, I thought they were attacking Ray, but it was Alistair Black with a Ray Mysterio mask on. 
that was a little confusing. It looked like like a jacked, tall Ray Mysterio. Yeah, I was like, when did he get all these <laughs> tattoos here? Like, I know Ray's got ink, but it didn't seem to this degree. And then as they zoomed in closer, oh, they put a mask on this guy. Um, so yes, Alistair was uh, left in the back, and Rollins and Murphy came out after their attack. They're plugging the Miz. He the Miz is on the cover of TV Guide, which I'm stunned is still around TV guide. Well, you ever like, you know, pay for your groceries and like, they still have magazines up there. I imagine that's where they sell TV guide. I would imagine they're not selling too many right now. You would think like you, you've got to be a real like collector to be still buying TV guides at this point. Like what, what, what are you not getting? That's on your guide on your TV. I feel like the people that buy TV Guide are probably the same people that are still ordering WWE pay-per-views through traditional pay-per-view. Probably a crossover there of people that are buying pay-per-views that also want to read the cover story on The Miz hosting Cannonball. Makes total sense. The new water competition series that premieres on the USA Network. I'll tell you what I did this weekend. I got into uh, Ultimate Beastmaster. Starring CM Punk and Stu Bennett and Anderson Silva as hosts. Did you oh, remember this? I, I do remember this. Yeah. It's on Netflix, so it's right? Yeah. It's basically like, you know, uh, what is it? America Ninja Warrior, but like more international. And um, they have panels basically representing every country. And so Punk, of course, is one of the hosts for the American side. You have Stu Bennett along, uh, representing the UK side and, and your favorite, John Anderson Silva representing Brazil. And they like, you know, just basically commentate on all the teams. And it's like, in like super athletes doing these obstacle courses and it's i found it highly addictive so that's what i got into um no water cannons but um so is, is is punk the host and what, what do sylvan bennett do are they judges they're all hosts but in oh. their own for their own country so i imagine like you know uk netflix probably has like you know uh their own version with Stu bennett as sort of like the lead with with the other co-host like I think every country gets its own versioning, but they do interact with one another. So like, you know, often like uh, if it's like an American going up against a, a Brazilian, they'll like tease each other. Um, they'll walk into each other's booth and then you'll see subtitles and everything. It's it's mindless, silly fun. I'm watching this new show called Upload on Amazon Prime. I've heard good things. I actually it's, tried the first episode. Yeah, it's weird. Like it's it's like a weird like science fiction comedy um but it's it's okay it's like the idea the the premise it's in like 2033 and when you die you have this ability to get uploaded instead of actually dying so that's kind of the premise and the main character is sent to uh be uploaded by his uh girlfriend and it's this uh draw I'm not going to say drama, but like the mystery is whether he was murdered or not in his self-operating car. Man, that would suck. Like if you got killed and then uploaded, like, can you go back? Uh, not really. No, there's hmm. a portal, but people don't make it through the portal. So you're, can you're pretty you, much stuck like, there. Well, so then like, you know, you can at least witness your, your trial, your own trial. No, get you get to you get to attend your funeral. You even get to speak at your funeral. Wow, amazing, interesting. Okay, well, morbid, but um, I'm actually surprised yeah. that's not more of a thing of you know specific to like older folks that 
I mean, know that the time is coming that they don't prepare like a video speech for their own funeral. Like you never hear about that, but it seems like that is a trend that could uh, sweep the funeral scene. Well, uh, Ennio Mor- Morricone, the um, Italian composer, actually wrote his own obituary. Like he wrote okay. a thing. Like he he died like this weekend, and he just like he wrote. So people do do that. How would you feel about doing that? Like I kind of feel like I I would feel very uh, self conscious about writing my own obituary. I would prefer just somebody else do it. But I mean, to each his own. I mean, who knows? I mean, I guess, better I guess than you. It would, I guess it was more of like a goodbye message type of yeah, thing. I understand it. Um, uh, I don't think I would really care, honestly. Like I'd be like I'd I don't know. Like the, it, t- Tony Stark had it had it down, like where he left the the video message at the end. Yeah, yeah, a holog- hologram. That's the way to say goodbye. Well, hopefully by the time you have to think about that, we'll have uh, fully functioning holograms. I'm watching this show. It's like uh, this is not this is stuff that does not seem out of the realm of possibility in my lifetime. Maybe not like uploading people before death, but like when when I'm about to like. Say sayonara. I could certainly imagine uh, being on the cusp of of this technology. Well, then I, I'll be able to podcast forever, won't, won't I? We'll podcast like for eternity. Oh, this this connection we're on right now would certainly work if I was if I was uploaded. So you can communicate that way, right? Like you can you could just basically text the consciousnesses. Oh yeah, they're they're constantly on the phone with each other. Like you have a direct line to your your personal angel, and you can just and you can contact like people on on Earth. The Wi Fi is fantastic in in this upload territory. And is there like a monthly fee? It's all. I think the the girlfriend. It's like they pay for it, so you're kind of on their dime. They control you basically. Oh God, how much is it? They didn't get into figures, but one of the angels is trying to raise, to get a loan because her father, she wants to upload him. So she had to get a loan for it. Well, listen, like it just gets really expensive. I mean, if you have a really big family and as the generations progress, I mean, shit, it's like, am I going to have to pay for my great, great grand aunt, you know, at some point? Yeah. I mean, do, do they want to be saved? Uh, do they want to be uploaded? I'm sure they would. Why not? All right. Bra. Cannonball. It debuts, I think, Thursday. Um, with the guy who doesn't appear on the USA Network, The Miz. The Viking Raiders are in the back with a bowling ball. They go crazy about Edge and Christian. They were their heroes growing up. Big Show doesn't have time for any of this shit. And chops each of them. And then Eric says, our Viking ways... May be strange to you, but tonight when we get in the ring, the raid is on. And Big Show says, good, followed by a lot of grunting from all three men. Yeah, so they now have like the the Viking Raiders. I mean, they, I guess they've always had this, but I never really noticed it till now. But they script them as if they're all like Thor, like as if they talk like Thor. But like, you know, like Thor 1 Thor. Not Thor 3 Thor. So, uh, I mean, it's 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 getting them on TV. Oh, congratulations to uh, Eric. Oh, you did mention that. Yes. Uh, Eric Wonderful and news. 
Sarah, uh, Sarah, the former Sarah Logan are, are having a baby. So congratulations to the two of them. The Kevin Owens show is back. Owens is out. He tosses the chairs out and introduces his guest, a big piece of trash, Seth Rollins, who comes <laughs> out with Murphy. And they talk about Owens' fractured ankle from WrestleMania. And they're going back and forth. Owens mentions how when you have a match with someone at WrestleMania, you share a bond with them. So he presents Rollins with a KO Mania 4 t-shirt that he wore when he beat him. Rollins then lays out the challenge to Rey Mysterio for Extreme Rules because now Rey has been cleared. And he suggests that Owens join the fight with Rollins and Murphy so that he can find a purpose in his fighting and fight the greater good. This prompts Ray and Dominic to come out and Ray accepts the match at Extreme Rules and they mention that Alistair Black is hurt and maybe they're going to attack Dominic's eye. So Owens turns down Rollins' offer to fight alongside him, but instead he will team with Ray tonight and Owens suggests that the winning team gets to pick the stipulations at Extreme Rules. Rollins agrees to this and Murphy then jumps Owens and we get an impromptu tag team match. That's right. Yep. Um, yeah, it was all fine. This was um, this was pretty much verbatim. Brody Lee trying to uh, sign up Colt Cabana with Kevin Owens as Colt Cabana. Only Owens turned him down. So it, was it verbatim? I mean, what, like it was just a guy trying to recruit somebody else. Well. Made, made, made me think of it. it. Seemed very similar paths. I guess we don't have the losing streak with Owens. So there's that difference. Hmm. Okay. SmackDown promo. We have the tag title match with New Day against Nakamura and Cesaro. And Jeff Hardy will be on Miz TV to react to the toast from last week. I think Jeff Hardy would love to do that Cannonball show. It seems like it's right up his alley. He should definitely be hosting Cannonball. Sure. Rollins and Murphy against Mysterio and Kevin Owens. Uh, this featured Ray constantly uh, trying to go for a 619. They, they walk up to Dominic, Rollins and Murphy, and Rollins dares Dominic to hit him because in doing so would DQ his father and then Rollins could choose the stipulation. Actually a brilliant tactic, I thought, on his part. And then Rollins gouges Dominic's eye. And afterwards, they're cutting to Dominic, who is selling this eye gouge like he had gotten um like dust in his eyes and was just like rubbing his eyes with his shirt <laughs> and it just it looked like more of a nuisance than a debilitating injury that he had sustained i mean have you had dust in your eye it's it's terrible i understand you ever, ever had an eyelash in your eye i i i've never had someone walk up to me and gouge me in the eye I can't say I can compensate or understand that kind of pain, but I can certainly understand getting something in your eye. With with all that's going on in the world right now, I, I think sticking your finger in somebody else's eye is oh, it's one fine. of the most – no, it's one of the wor- most aggressive, t- terrible tactics I think anybody can commit. We should uh, – no, I – I I, th- I saw all masks in the crowd, so it seemed like the the enforcement policy likely took form on Friday because it seemed. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I I didn't see anyone without masks in the crowd. I wasn't really looking for it, but I I also didn't notice anybody without. 
Owens then lands a super kick on Rollins using the injured ankle of his to tag Ray. Ray fires up. Uh, there's a 619 attempt, but Rollins rolls out, grabs Dominic, and he threatens to finish him when Alistair Black walks out. Dominic nails Murphy's eye and puts his thumb in the eye. Just disgusting now that Way has laid out this scenario. So Murphy, Murphy is completely blinded by this this thumb to the eye. Ray hits him with the 619 and the frog splash, pins Murphy, so that means Ray gets to pick the match stipulation. And he tells Rollins, I have the perfect stipulation. Are you ready for this, Way? The perfect stipulation. I for an eye. I am going to pull your eye out with my bare hands. And we have the solemn response from the announcers as joe says this may indeed be a horror show and then to one up them tom phillips says that stipulation is definitely extreme so we are going to get the promise of a man ripping out another man's eye why doesn't he go all the way and say i'm going to eat it that's for SummerSlam, the feast. Maybe uh, maybe Ray is going to be hosting uh, USA Network's uh, revamping of Fear Factor. Eating eyeballs, yeah. Um, so so for Ray, he'll be putting his other eye on the line. He has to be, yeah. It's eye for an eye, and he's lost one. Uh, it's still covered. So, um, yeah, I guess he'll have no sight at all. All right. Yeah. I mean, double or nothing, right? Um, you know, I, I I thought the match was totally fine here. Booking all made sense. Everybody worked hard. Everybody looked good. I'm looking forward to this ridiculous stipulation. Like, I've loved everything they've done so far, teasing, blinding each other on, that steel, on the steel steps. That building the whole match around it, I think, will make for really fun tension. Like in the way that I guess like, you know, casket matches have in the past or like Royal Rumbles have in the past, except, you know, big spot is like teasing constantly of driving your opponent's head into these steel steps. I think it'll be fun. And I think it'll be fun to see a man get his eye pulled out. I hope they go all the way. I know they don't, you know, they already have a cinematic match for this show, but this is going to be a tape match. Give me some props. Okay. Prop department, uh, makeup, effects. Create that fake eyeball. I want to see somebody dig their fingers into somebody's skull and pluck a nice, juicy, slimy eyeball out. I think Vince McMahon would have to characterize this as his greatest stipulation ever. AEW just did it. Didn't they? That's true. Yeah, whatever this is going to be. They they are – like these pay-per-views are being sold on the – like, you have to tune in to see what the fuck they're going to do. Like, that's kind of like what the 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 promotional strategy is. And that's what's going to make this, um, like, what the hell are they going to do in this thing? Like, it's it's totally ridiculous. But maybe that's the appetite people have. They want ridiculous right now. And these two are going to provide it. Yeah. Sign me up. Charlie is backstage with MVP and Lashley. And... Apollo Crews, oh yeah, Apollo Crews was not, uh, we did not list him off this week. And it seems like they're going to just, they've announced him for Extreme Rules, 
sorry, the horror show at Extreme Rules, but looks like he missed these tapings and they're just going to explain it by uh, the full Nelson that he was attacked with. Sure. Yeah. Again, who knows? They come out to the ring and this is where they announce Cruz and MVP for the pay-per-view and no one is invincible to Lashley's full Nelson. MVP doesn't feel guilty about Cruz being hurt because he turned down his mentorship and they unveiled the new United States title. And MVP crowns himself the new champion because he beat uh, Cruz in the non-title match last week. So he puts the title on and then they're interrupted by Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. Cruz is going to be back soon, Ricochet says, and they are here to make sure the Hurt Business goes XFL, Chapter 11. And then they proceeded to attack him. Would have been a way better line if they said XFL instead of <laughs> Chapter 11. But uh, I, I thought, listen, I've, I've always been harsh on Ricochet's promos. I, I thought he was pretty good here. Yeah, I think he's been absolutely fine. I mean, I think for him, part of the issue is just having to deal with these scripted, very like stiff types of performances and some people just aren't really very suited for for that type of thing i think he's been okay like he's you know been out of the spotlight for a bit and i i feel in a less kind of like uh high pressure situation like like this in a tag team i thought it was totally fine what did you think of the new belt um it was it was fine it was when you saw the photos online i thought it looked better than it did when they revealed it on on camera like it looked like it was just like gold and black it really doesn't fit the the theme of the u.s belt but when you see the actual photos i mean it's it's fine i think it's okay you know i, I mean i do feel like a makeover for that belt is, it has been long overdue that thing's been around for like that's been the man, design like since years. wwe adopted it yeah it's been a long yeah. time they've had that that singular design it i don't love it you know i think the ic title is way better than this one but um yeah, I guess it's an improvement over the last one. I mean, whatever. We'll get used to it. Bobby Lashley and MVP took on Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. Uh, they double teamed Lashley, only got him down to a knee, but then they took over, got the heat on Ricochet. Uh, Lashley hit him with this big flat liner, and then MVP's trying to come in to get the pinfall, but kicks out. And then Alexander's in, Lashley does the blind tag, nails him off the apron to the floor, and Lashley spears Cedric Alexander, pinning him in 652, and MVP leaves with the U.S. title. So it's like Lashley does all the work, MVP is the champion. Um, and it, it, Kind of a weird buildup here for uh, the U.S. title program, but they're going, you know, they're, they're putting off Lashley. Maybe they're, they're saving him for another month. I would imagine, yeah. I mean, I think this will just be, you know, a, a, a somewhat important TV match, or sorry, pay-per-view match for Apollo, getting a, a win over MVP, and then maybe he could move on to Lashley after that. I thought this was a really good little TV match. I really continue to enjoy Lashley's new aggression in ring. Um, even as the man is going through a divorce, you know, he's still really performing at his best. So uh, I think that should be complimented. I thought it was really impressive that MVP was able to do all that. All he did in a whole suit, man. Like, yeah, he wrestled the whole match in a suit. Yeah. Oh my God. I'd be nervous about my pants ripping at the crotch. Uh, So high quality suit. So uh, let's compliment the suit maker as well. 
You almost um, wonder that, like last week, he was in on the last show, like he was just in his normal gear. Like you almost wonder if it was just like impromptu that they they needed him for this match, and for some reason he didn't have his gear because there was no story reason for him not to have his gear on. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, you would figure he would have his gear out at at all times. That's the rule. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you would think yeah. so. Anyway, or maybe they're just trying something different with him. I don't know. Yeah. Um, um, did you notice how like they <laughs> they all have nicknames now? <laughs> no, I didn't. So, what are they? So okay, so MVP is P. <laughs> they call him P. A P. They call I, him I, P. Yeah. And like I'm pretty sure I heard MVP call Bobby Lashley Roberto. <laughs> Roberto. Okay. Roberto. So we've got P, we've got Roberto, and you know, Rick, Rick, Richard O'Shea, of course, we know and, already. And then we got and the other one. Seti. Seti. Yeah, that's how Ricochet referred to, to Cedric, as Seti. So we've got Seti, Richard, P, and Roberto. Pretty impressive that they could get, like, hey, MVP, we've got to shorten that. <laughs> like, that's that's quite the... Uh, the extreme it's like okay pick P, pick our favorite P, letter come on it's it's cool to just have you know to, to it's efficient efficiency I'm, is cool roberto roberto lashley <laughs> <laughs> and seti <laughs> uh, i love it i love it look at the personality look at the growth these guys have all had andrade and garza were backstage with vega andrade doesn't want to talk to garza Thankfully, Ric Flair is there and says that tonight it's a must-do mission, which apparently is what Ric Flair is on every week when it comes to raw tapings. <laughs> he says, yes. if you don't get along with Orton tonight, then you're going to have to answer to him and don't screw anything up. Um, Orton walks in to explain to them, don't screw up anything with Big Show for me. I promise you that Randy Orton could have done all of this dialogue with the others, but hey, Ric Flair's there. He's doing these shows. I mean, there's only so much you can say, and I agree with you. I'm sure that this guy is hardly uh, averse averse to doing all of these shows, but it's just – it's insane. Like just how – it's almost like they're finding ways to put him into the show because there's not really a role for him. He didn't even come out for the match. Yeah, I don't know. This was it. Know. This was all he did on this this whole uh, show this week was one backstage segment that tonight is a must-do mission. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he, uh, he just wants to – maybe he's just bored. Maybe he maybe loves like, these COVID tests. Maybe they're fun. Could be. Could be. I don't know. I'm not sure. Um you also had here like Orton really draw the association between the three of them that they're all third generation wrestlers and um, Orton also threatening to, you know, beat the shit out of those other two. And I usually hate that sort of thing when like a bigger heel, like out alphas, the lesser heels like Triple H used to always do this shit. And I would hate it because it would make like the lower heels look so lame. But man, Orton is so entertaining and his performance is so good when he's talking down to anybody. Like I'm almost just like cool with it, yeah. Like he he's just he's so fun to watch. 
I will tell you who was very fun to watch in this next segment. It was the Kabuki Warriors. After saying, uh, or sorry, Oscar said after she beats Bailey, they are challenging them to the tag titles next week. And then Oscar, in her great delivery, she just yells out Kabuki Warriors. Like just that's who we are. And then Kyrie starts playing their theme on the recorder. This is one of those scenes that needs to be watched and not recapped by me. It was awesome. I love this. It was great. Yeah, they've really kind of like got their promo style down to a science where they just say a bunch of stuff in Japanese that I'm sure is incredibly interesting, but none of us will really know. Um, and then they say the actual thing that they're there for. And then in this case, it was the challenge for the belts. And what I was really impressed by was Kyrie on that recorder. She's clearly been practicing. She did the whole theme here. She was great. I mean, this takes like this takes a lot of skill that she has in, we, in, invested. We know how she's been spending her quarantine time. She's like picked up an instrument. Check it out. The Big Show and the Viking Raiders versus Orton, Andrade, and Angel Garza. Orton won't start the match with Big Show. So Big Show is just in there with Andrade. Uh, they're attacking them. The Viking Raiders get scoop slammed on top of him. Garza starts screaming at Andrade, and Orton gets pissed. He tells Garza, come over here. And he just lays into Garza. He shoves him against the glass. Then he grabs him by the throat and says... <laughs> If you screw up, I'll put your ass in the dirt. And he I didn't even—he didn't even win a match to pick this stipulation. He's just going to put his ass in the dirt. I'm going to kill you just because. Oh. Not even build it up on pay per view. Yeah, like I said, you know, usually when like a heel just like man does this to another heel, I I usually cringe. I usually hate it, man. But Orton was so entertaining here. Like to me, this is like. Like, you know, like he's definitely, of course, like one of the best actors, I would say, in the company right now. But this is something I, I could have definitely seen, like on the level of of, of what you would see in a drama. Um, I, I listened to uh, Edge was being interviewed on uh, ESPN and uh, Peter Rosenberg was asking him about, you know, is is Randy Orton in like a different uh, space now that you've been working uh, with him? Like he just seems to be in a great spot. I mean, recently he's even tweeting about Black Lives Matter. Like, it just seems like this is a totally different guy now. It's like the whole thing is like, man, Randy Orton seems a lot less shitty now. Is this true? Oh, God. And what was the answer? Edge was like, oh, I think it's – Edge gave like a very <laughs> diplomatic answer about like, you know, he, he's older now. And also he realizes he has a voice to speak about social issues that a lot of times people probably think – do we really need to hear uh, from wrestlers about social issues? And maybe we do have a platform to talk about this. Like edge can take any question and he's very good with it, but Mm. it it was, it was just like, you know, (laughs) what's gotten into this guy? Uh, You know, he's talking about like equality. Um, So anyway, the match continues. Uh, Big show calls for the choke slam. Orton comes from behind. He can't hit the RKO. Andrade then counters the choke slam to a sleeper and gets flipped off the back. Eric comes in. The others are fighting. The Viking experience gets stopped. And Ivar is sent to the floor. Randy hits the RKO, pinning Eric. And they win. And Orton kind of goes up the ramp with Andrade, Garza, and Vega. And kind of, I at least took it like this visual, like teasing like an alliance here with these four. That's how I took it too. You know, a group of like third generation guys, 
um, led by Ric Flair, I guess, and Zelina. <laughs> so, what um, a weird faction! Like just the different parts. Well, I mean, I mean, they, I mean, I Flair and Andrade. There's the natural. I mean, there's. Uh, that is true. Yeah, I mean, you know, their their numbers aren't exactly. Um, you know, high right now for them to pick from. And it seems like this is a matter of convenience as well. Really, I think really to flesh out Randy Orton by having a stable around him, at least for the time being, uh, I think, I guess is a decent move. It's it's fine. I don't see it lasting, you know, beyond perhaps this pay-per-view or even SummerSlam. Uh, but for the time being, it's it's totally fine. I think they're doing the best they can to hotshot Big Show up into this main event level babyface status. Um, they're keeping his status, like his presence very strong. They're making him look good in ring by highlighting his strengths in a match like this. And I, I really think it, it, it helps how much of a command show now has of his own acting ability at this stage of his career. Um, you know, physically, I think he actually is keeping up really well. But to me, like the, the real standout of his performances now is things like facial expression and just how he like carries himself. Yeah, I, I wonder how much you can do with him in a in a one-on-one match, which I mean they still haven't announced with him and Orton. I mean that that seems to be the the direction of all of this. Um but I think that that's you know the the guy has had uh, a lot of injuries that he's gone through and I think they've been smart to kind of put him in these six mans. And his is a style that I think you can really work around and and like he's mobile enough to be able to you know wrestle his style. Yeah, you just have to come up with a stipulation now between Orton and Big Show. I mean, you can't just do a match at the horror show. What party part? Maybe they have it on top of uh, Cobo Hall, the site of uh, hmm. Big Show's uh, plunge uh, 25 years ago. Hmm. All okay. ideas that are on the table. The Iconics are in the back. They're making fun of Ruby Riot. They joke about Liv not returning her phone calls. Really Drew McIntyre of her. And she's a loser. Ruby appears from behind and calls them dumbasses. And tonight, it won't be iconic. It will be tragic. They walk by MVP and Cedric Alexander. I think she, I think she said that, hoping that like it would rhyme. Iconic and, and I tragic? Guess it does. Uh, yeah. Well, they both end with the same letters. Um, it, was a, it was an attempt. Yeah. yeah. They got very Aaron Sorkin-ish here, where we walked by and just dropped in on the conversation between MVP and Cedric Alexander. Everyone just goes, they finish their matches, and then they hang out by this empty ring in the warehouse. Well, that would be quite the feat if they could do the whole episode. I'd be like, I'm done my match. I'm getting the hell out of here. I'm not sticking around just to chat around this this ring. Mm -hmm. This is like uh, the the, say by the bell at the max after. MVP is trying to recruit Cedric Alexander and says, why are you holding yourself back by being Ricochet's sidekick? And Cedric says, I get what you're trying to do. Divide and conquer. So MVP digs in deep and says, well, let me remind you that it's Ricochet that has a new WWE 365 special on the network. And you do not. And Cedric does not have a comeback to this. And then MVP says, we're in the hurt business. You're in the catering business because that's where you're going to be watching the stars 
So bon appetit. I mean, dude, this guy gets some fucking lines in every week. And it's just like these mic drops at the end of it. Like the bon appetit. I was like, the great line at the end of this. It really is amazing, like how integral he's becoming, you know, to so many guys on this roster. Like Lashley, you know, Apollo. And now it looks like Cedric and Ricochet as well. You know, they're all they're all involved in stories that I think really involve MVP and none of it would really be possible without an antagonist who can talk like him. So I, I think it's honestly some of the best things that that's been there for those four guys. Um, so I look forward to seeing more. Orton is with flair. Um, this, this was the pivotal segment. This is why it was flowing the Florida flair was bragging about another win when our truth runs and bumps into Orton. And then R-Truth stares at Ric Flair and thinks that he is Akira Tozawa in disguise. So then R-Truth leaves. Tozawa runs up with the ninjas. I never thought I would see a scene involving Randy Orton with the ninjas. But here we are. And Orton then pointed in the wrong direction, sending Tozawa and the ninjas away. I don't know what this segment was meant to accomplish. It just existed. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the announcers did, did ask why Orton was helping Truth. Uh, so I'm guessing we'll get some sort of reveal in the future. I can't uh, wait for that reveal. <laughs> I cannot wait for it. Yeah, coming up next week. Is our uh, uh, truth a, a third generation performer? He is not. Not that I know of. Yeah, but man, this, yeah, whatever. The ninja thing is, was so bad, especially this week where like, Tazawa comes in all scared of Orton. Of course, he's a subordinate to or- Orton, and they all bow as they leave. And like, Orton bowed as they left. Did you catch oh, that? God. He bowed. Of course, I caught it. Of course, it was just really sad. Ruby Riot and Billy Kay. This one went two forty one. Uh, Ruby Riot stomped Peyton Royce's hand on the apron, and then she scared her off the apron. But this allowed. Billy Kay to nail her in the throat and hit her finish, which is some kind of sit-out dominator kind of finish. The BK bomb. uh, Yeah, you're right. You're right. That was We had seen this once before. She doesn't win all that often, so I forgot about this. The BK bomb, and she won in 241. So both uh, Billy and Peyton have beaten Ruby in singles matches in the past two weeks. And man, like insult to injury here. Ruby's weave fell out, and like they're waving the, the weave. Like as as they're walking up the ramp, man, terrible. So uh, I, you know, I I I I definitely sense they're telling a longer story here, setting up the live live uh, Morgan return and the the reunion of, of the riot squad. So oh, crowd's really gonna get go nuts at-, at that reunion. Uh, well, it's something for them. I, I seriously believe, based on that backstage segment where they were constantly calling her a loser, I really feel that's what they're going to name that that th- those two together, the losers. That particular name, like they 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 used it a lot last week, and then they continued it this week. That I almost think that it's going to be oh. like this ironic name that they take on, the losers. I mean, the the clear thing that they're trying to t- do here is like you know the Mean Girls versus the Outcasts, right? Like it's. It is it is a like every high school movie trope, and I don't know what high school you would go to where like Liv Morgan would be per- like perceived as an outcast. But all right, Charlie's with Bailey and Banks. 
just a million interview segments on this show. Charlie and Sarah Schreiber were the busiest people on this show. Banks accepts the tag title challenge for next week. Bailey's annoyed at this. Banks explains why, so she's fine with it. Nikki Cross is up for commentary. It's our main event, and it is 10.30 p.m. So this was going to be the whole last half hour, this match. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bailey was in control early on. Uh, Nikki Cross is separated f- by security, and they haul Nikki Cross away. Yes. But she would return later. Uh, we went through one commercial break. We went through two commercial breaks. Um, picked up here. Oscar um, went for a spinning backfist. And either this was the greatest worked spinning backfist I have ever seen in a pro wrestling context, or she smoked Bailey like a cannon. And I'm going to lead towards the latter. The replay of this, I thought Bailey's head was going to come off. It looked, uh, it looked pretty good, and yeah, uh, probably sh- I'm sure it felt pretty good too. She wasn't she wasn't busted up or anything, but it looked like she might have just caught it right at the side of the head or something here. Oscar uh, proceeded to hit a missile drop kick. Uh, we were getting into some near falls here. Banks then nails her from the apron, and the Bailey to belly was identified as the Saito suplex. Well, it was really facing like the back wasn't really to the belly. Well, Banks gets a bottle of water and passes it to Bailey. And Bailey then splashes the water onto Asuka. And Kyrie Sane's across the ring just like watching this all. Cross then appears behind the plexiglass and bangs on the glass so much that this distracts Bailey like she's seen a ghost. So the Asuka lock is applied. uh, Bailey tries to fight out by rolling on top goes back to the Oscar lock when Kyrie comes in, spears Sasha to stop the DQ from occurring. And then Oscar hooks Bailey's legs and pins her and gets the victory. So you did get the finish here. I thought they might go the DQ route, which would have been infuriating after this length of time, but you did get a finish. Yeah. So they already announced the um, tag title match, right? For next week. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, I think you, you had to make the challengers look strong in, in one week here. Uh, good match. You know, incredible performances from both women. Asuka looked great. And I think as a character, Bailey has become strong enough to be able to carry 30 minutes of a TV match like this. I'll say for me personally, at the end of like a three-hour Raw with really nothing at stake in this match, I kind of felt like it went too long. I understand it because it's, like you know, champion versus champion. You kind of want to make it grand. You want to make, you know, like... You want to have these these two on TV for 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 most of your show, I understand. But it did get to the point where I, I was feeling like every near fall was almost like something that was met with disappointment rather than excitement. And I think that's more to do with my own energy level by the end of this show. Yeah, I think it's tough when you know there's no other segments announced and it's 30 minutes of television time and you know you're going to get the commercial breaks. And, you know, they, they they worked very hard. And I thought like it really um, accelerated in, I would say, like the last five to six minutes. It's a very tough spot to be in when you're carrying that much television time. I mean, it's a half hour. It's, it's a long time in this setting mm-hmm. with the commercial interruptions and and – it's, well, you know, like the taped, I'm sure, you know, they, they went a little bit less. Like they're not wrestling through commercial breaks at, at these tapings. But still, it was very long. You saw it on their faces, like the amount of sweat that was pouring down both of them. So they both worked really hard. 
Maybe that's what Jorge Masvidal is going to have to do uh, to cut some weight in Abu Dhabi. It's going to be super hot there, mm-hmm. and maybe he's got to work through a couple segment matches. Uh, yeah, perhaps. So Kyrie's saying, you know, it seems like they're really going through all of these, like, matches with her right now. Like, tonight we got big match with her and Sasha, even though it ended in DQ. But next week we're kind of getting, like, big tag match, big, big tag title match between the Kabuki Warriors and Sasha and Banks. Sasha and uh, Bailey, I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think that with, with Kyrie, it's probably, you know, I don't know what the timetable is, but they're probably, you know, starting to, you know, figure out when, as long as they have her, um, use her, and then she probably gets written off whenever that time is. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the show overall? I mean, what uh, what really jumped out at you? Uh, I really like the Heath Slater stuff at the beginning. I thought that was really strong and I think unique. And I would even say worth watching for somebody who's a bit more of a lapsed Raw fan. Uh, beyond that, a lot of it was really like, you know, much of the same old, same old. Um, I think there was, there was some good wrestling on the show. I, I would recommend the main event for people who maybe aren't watching the rest of the show and just want to tune into like a pretty hefty 20 plus minute match between Bailey and Asuka. I thought they both did really well. Um, you know, the, the tag title match between Cedric and Ricochet, Seti and uh, Richard and P and Roberto, Roberto. pretty solid too. Uh, but do you have to watch it? I wouldn't necessarily say so. A lot of these stories are just like, they're good, they're fine, um, but pretty standard, I would say. But overall, like not a bad show. Yeah, just a long show. I think that you can you can cherry pick. I definitely recommend the the Heath Slater promo. I thought it was really good, uh, almost too good for what they had planned for him in the next segment. But you know, he he delivered a really great promo. I, I think that they're you know B- Banks and Bailey have become kind of the the main characters on all the shows um, at this point. Like compare their role on tonight's show versus Drew McIntyre, who. I mean, you almost forgot by the end of the show that that Heath Slater stuff took place because it was over and done with within 15 minutes. Part of it, I think, really has to do with I th- perhaps how entertaining they are as characters versus, you know, Drew's been on TV a whole lot, but I can't really tell you, like, he's been great, I think, as, you know, a performer, like he's in ring, he delivers on the mic, he delivers, but there's really nothing that really pops out about it. Um, nothing that really, like, feels like I would... Like I, I, I crave seeing his next performance, but, um, and that's why I find it so interesting and why I still consider him pretty untested until we start to get crowds in there to see how crowds organically react to him. Cause right now I think it's just all company pushing him to, to get to this level. Um, in a segment like tonight, I definitely would have seen the audience turn on him. So uh, he remains at a pretty interesting case that I, I considered pretty untested. But Banks and Bailey, on the other hand, I feel that real organic, I think, you know, um, attraction to them uh, just as like a fun act to, to watch. They're amazing in ring and they're killing it really on all three shows. Uh, we talked about for Extreme Rules, you know, that you could certainly make the argument to close the show with Asuka and Sasha Banks. Uh, do you yeah. see do you see uh, Rollins and Ray at, at that same level, or do you still feel that Austin Banks would be your, your best choice to close the show on the pay-per-view? I think considering the fact that it's for a championship and uh, really, I could definitely see them, you know, considering Ray and, and, and Rollins for that main 
main spot. But I would still go with Asuka and Banks. To me, it's it's the one that I have personally the most interest in. Um, the eye angle definitely adds an extra layer, but it's like more of a kind of novelty type of thing to me. I'm sure the match will be great, but if you have an opportunity to like, you know, have a strong female main event, I would absolutely say take it. Okay, I want to do one quick game with you, okay? we d- They do the eye for the eye match. And they do some weird prop where an eye is taken out of one of them. You yeah. play Tom Phillips and transition to the next match. Oh, my. What a emotional event we just witnessed. Speaking of emotional events, <laughs> Bray Wyatt has been really up to no good over the past month. Tom, Tom, the eye is rolling on the mat he's screaming he's screaming in the ring right now do we have medics here tom we can't go on with this show well a very serious set of circumstances we've just witnessed and uh we take it to the back for our colleague sarah schreiber who's there with the viking raiders (laughs) they almost need to bring in jerry lawler for that match because can you imagine all the jokes he would have for the eye match even though they're trying to present it seriously like oh my god I don't know if COVID. Ray hindsight is twenty twenty about this match stipulation he chose. COVID be damned. Yes, please fly that man in just to commentate that match. Yeah, there oh, you go. <laughs> Let's go to the feedback. And tonight's show got a six point nine three. That oh is, my god, that's that is, really high for that's Raw. that's Holy on the shit. high end. Probably for the for the match. Well, let's see. Let's see what. Oh, maybe it's Heath Slater. Let's see what people thought. Well, from from Paul in New Jersey, Heath Slater is no joke. One of my favorite performers of the last decade, and I think we just watched him cut the best promo of his career. Dolph, who wouldn't have had Slater job out? Add Slater to the Extreme Rules match. Add instant intrigue to an otherwise bland feud. If the idea was to make me think EO was showing up, but having Sane return, well done. That said, I don't know what's worse, current Seth Rollins or the comedy vacuums that are the Viking Raiders. All is not lost because all the Iconics do is win, 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 no matter what. Very clever. Uh, there you go. No, I don't get it. What's that? It's uh, he's it's win, a, win, win, no matter what. Like the oh, song, the song, the song. The song. Oh, I get it. Oh, I get it. Oh. All right. We got a uh, uh, Matt in Abbotsford who says, uh, "What is the end game with Ruby Riot? I'm pretty sure she was challenging for the women's title before she had so- shoulder surgery. Is she the new Ricochet? Um, I think they're setting up a reunion with Liv Morgan. That's where they're going. Yep, Kyle from Warrington." Heath Slater was great. Didn't love the instant squash, but the promo was money. Was this just a really nice gift from WWE to have him advertise himself for future employment? The women's matches were good, especially in the main event. I'm done with Rollins and Ray, so hopefully Randy uh, can retire Ray or something. Fun, easy to watch show overall. Yeah, Slater, I, I imagine they probably just found like a really interesting idea. Slater was is still technically on contract and they could use him to, you know make for a compelling first segment to build up to this Dolph Drew match that God knows absolutely needs anything that it, it they could use. Uh, at the same time, I, I really, like I said, you know, do consider any sort of appearances from these guys as sort of like a, you know, kind of a savior job type of performance. And this is your last chance to impress Vince. If he likes you enough, maybe when it's this whole thing is over, he'll bring you back. Um, I, I definitely don't discount that. 
we get to Aaron from Brampton who says that opening segment, that opening promo caught me off guard. I was expe- expecting some generic back and forth between Ziggler and Drew, but instead we got an emotional Heath Slater promo. It was a reminder of how great of a performer Heath is. I also liked how Drew beat him quickly. Just because Heath can get intense, that doesn't change how easy it is for most to beat him. The whole thing was done beautifully. Question for you guys. Now that we've seen guys like Slater return and Drake Maverick keep his job, which recently released wrestlers could you see making a return to WWE sooner than later? I think this is probably it of the ones like the, those 90 day no competes are almost up. So, I mean, a lot of it was like these are performers that are still technically under deals. Um, I, I would I, I would also say I would also say like of of the crop that have well, at least these two, I suppose, that have returned. I mean, they from from what we know, have never publicly spoke up against the company the way a lot of the, the release talent have. So I don't really see Leo Rush coming back. I don't really see Rusev even being well, Rusev unless they were really concerned about him going to the competition. Um, otherwise, I don't really see him just making a return um, like this. Uh, like I said, unless things change, I guess anything can happen. Andrew from Cape Breton. He Slater looked good tonight and was definitely the highlight. The Dolph Ziggler match is so dead, but if they just canceled that and changed it to Drew versus Heath, I think you would get a better match, even with Heath's recent history of being a comedy jobber. I guess it was also a good comparison and contrast to other promos and segments like with Ricochet, the Viking Raiders, or Ruby Riot. I've hated scripted promos for a while, but there, if there is something real within that scripted promo, I think it's easier to handle. Sonya Deville, for example, has taken some potentially real issues and just brought them into into the world with into this world without being overlooked. My biggest issue with WWE is it's too fake. Fake is the big buzzword with wrestling. But while I know he Slater was given direction and the outcome of his match and segment was predetermined, there was something real coming from him. There are definitely people in WWE who are good in their roles and feel more real, but a lot of WWE scripted promos make things worse. Six out of 10 show. So they just need to like lay everybody off and then bring them back in for segments. Well, you'll have a lot of passion uh, behind uh, a promo under those circumstances. And I think that there is probably like a happy medium where there's some talent that need direction and they need people to uh, help them with their promos. But I think when you can at least channel something that that typically is going to come across that, that genuineness can be detected very easily as opposed to uh, we've got our own five second pose big show. And when the match begins, the raid is on good for a lot of these guys. I mean, like I'm sure the urgency in like knowing that you absolutely have to deliver a great performance will often like give them enough pressure to just like do their best. And yeah, granted, like if you have really bad material, you can only do so much, but um, I guess I, I, yeah, I I do wonder if like the Viking Raiders were in a similar position as Heath Slater was, how great of a promo you would have had from Eric Rowan or Eric Rowe. Sorry. Is that his name? Ray Rowe. Ray Rowe. But his name is Eric. (laughs) Just Eric. He doesn't have a last name. Neither of them right. have surnames in the Viking universe. Okay. All right. We go to uh, Nick from Lansing who says, this was a weird and mixed show for me. In terms of advancing stories and good matches, there's a lot of good things to point at, with Sasha Bailey and Asuka Kairi being the high points of the show for me. But as the show went on, I couldn't help but feel weird about the number of people who were suddenly being brought back to TV after news b- breaking out about more confirmed cases of COVID from the PC. 
I was surprised to see KO come back. And as much as I love the Heath Flair promo, I hope he's not getting a well-paying job soon. The whole thing had a break glass in case of emergency feel to it. Do you think if more cases keep coming out from the WWE, we'll see some sort of government body step in? Or should we assume the combination of Florida and wrestling will be enough for people to not take it seriously in the mainstream? I think what you've seen, the measures that they've put in, I think that's all you're going to expect. I mean, they're at this point. I I, I don't see any kind of um, intervention. No, I don't either. Not in Florida. Um, Will from Toronto. I had no idea Slater was going to appear, so that was a fun surprise. Amazing promo. Knew he would be a quick jobber to Drew, but it was nice regardless. The new United States is, title is awful. Am I in the minority here? We don't. We don't know. Oh, Anthony says I 100% agree with you. It's going to be one of those things we see enough times we'll get used to it. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a title design to me. I, I didn't really leave with any any strong feelings of it one way or the other. Um, okay, at this point, uh, let us go to Phil. Phil Chair Talk is going to be on the site later this week with myself with uh, lots of UFC 251 coverage. So here is Mr. Chair Talk explaining what we have planned this week. Before we wrap up the show, we are joined by post-wrestling royalty, Phil Chair Talk, the man, the, the, the master of ceremonies himself, Mr. Chair Talk. How are you on this Monday night? I'm doing tremendous, John, this late on a Monday evening when it is dark outside and not bright at all. Thank you for the virtual wink to all of the audience members who are all all of faith that you stayed up to this super late hour uh, to, to join us just for the sake of uh, honoring the, the time system uh, that is out there. But we have got UFC 251 coming up this Saturday night, a brand new main event as Gilbert Burns is out. Jorge Masvidal is in, and before we talk about our post show this weekend, I mean this. I mean there, there's no disputing that the UFC lucked into an accidental upgrade of significant proportions. Yeah, I mean they upgraded the event in a couple of ways. Obviously, getting a much bigger name for the main event, and uh, you know, unfortunately, the ha- the most likely had to pay him uh, quite a bit more than uh, they probably were. Uh, initially willing to. Um, but uh, the fact that it's also a late replacement sort of adds to the excitement around the event. And so I think that what was already an eagerly anticipated event just got even more uh, eagerly anticipated. Well, I know you believe this is going to be, you thought already this was going to be an enormous card. I think that this certainly uh, grows this uh interest level uh, that much more. So last last month for UFC 250, we went live right after the show. So for those that are saying, you know what, Jorge Masvidal, that is going to be my introduction to post-wrestling's UFC coverage coming up on Saturday night. Why don't you instruct the listeners on what we have planned for Saturday night? Uh, you've got a very busy night ahead, and I just get to uh, check in for the post-show. Uh, that that's right. Um, well, uh, much like the last uh, UFC pay-per-view, which was a big event, that was the first uh, UFC pay-per-view during this pandemic period. 
Uh, we are going to be going live with a uh, UFC viewing party during the pay-per-view portion of the evening. It's going to be myself and longtime post-MMA uh, contributor Eric Marcotte. We're going to be doing a watch-along with the pay-per-view. Um, so we'll be doing commentary during the fight. So if you're uh, unable to watch the pay-per-view, you can join us. Or uh, if you are watching the pay-per-view, you know, it's, it's just sort of like a cool atmosphere that uh, we'll be engaged in. And that will be happening on the YouTube stream, the post-wrestling YouTube stream, so people can watch there. Um, and they can chat in um, the uh, YouTube chat. But we're also going to have, as always, our Discord chat as well. And uh, users can join Discord now. And then following the uh, watch along, as you've already mentioned, we are going to go live, me and you, with the post show, the UFC post show. And for the first time ever, we are going to be taking calls on the post show. And that is going to be happening exclusively via Discord. So we've got a channel set up in Discord. Um, so what you're going to do is you're going to join that channel. And uh, during the call portion of the show, uh, we'll put you on the air. So we will direct everyone to youtube.com slash post wrestling. Uh, best to just subscribe to the channel and then you'll have your reminders and you're not going to miss any of this. And the Discord channel, easiest place to access that. Just go to postwrestling.com and click on the button that conveniently reads Discord. So that is your, your setup for Saturday night. And you do not have to be a member of the cafe. It's all free to access all of this. And it's live. The the most favorite word in the broadcast industry, Phil. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's exciting. It, it gives you those butterflies in your uh, stomach. And, uh, you know, the fighters are going to do, I think, right? Well, Phil is going to be back as well later this week on Thursday. We're going to have a special UFC 251 preview show. Which, God knows what this card is going to look like, Phil, by the time uh, Thursday rolls around. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, you don't even want to speculate at this point because uh, it seems like our imaginations aren't creative enough to come up with these uh, potential scenarios. Well, uh, aside from Gilbert Burns out, Jorge Masvidal in, everything else is intact for this card on Saturday. Uh, so Phil will be back Thursday, and I'm looking forward to this on Saturday. I think this is going to be a, a lot of fun with the live watch-along that starts at 10 o'clock Eastern when the pay-per-view begins. YouTube.com slash post-wrestling, and then the post-show uh, will be starting momentarily after the main event, where we will either be talking about uh, Kamaru Usman with another title defense, or Jorge Masvidal uh, baptizing... Kamaru Usman in Abu Dhabi and hoisting the welterweight championship. What a story that would be. Definitely. I mean, it, you know, the story of uh, the resurrection of Street Jesus has been amazing so far. And uh, a UFC title win after being, you know, the person with the most uh, fights before a title opportunity would be a very poetic uh, line in that uh, story. All right. Well, Phil has instructed me that he's a little behind tonight, so he is back to go uh, complete raw. He is currently on hour one of three, so I'll let you get back to that, Phil, and I look forward to chatting with you more in depth on Thursday. Definitely. I look forward to it. Uh, so there you go. UFC 251 preview show on Thursday and then Saturday night uh, live watch along with Phil and Eric Marcotte. At, it's so hard to transition to that. You you more caught yourself before you made that mistake. Oh, very nice. Uh, so 
you can tune in on the on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash post wrestling, 10 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, so Eric and Phil will be watching the pay-per-view. And uh, you can also interact through the Discord channel, which you can log into through postwrestling.com. Very exciting. So I'm looking forward to that. That is coming up on Saturday. And Tuesday night, we're back for our Rewind Away number 65 covering lonesome dove so boy uh we are going to be recapping an episode called day of the dead so that is one episode 10 from season two the only episode wrestling fans have probably tracked down of lonesome dove i I believe it might be on youtube um if you care and i don't really know how many people care to do this one but uh we will be talking about it in its entirety (laughs) as will jay hunter Yes, Jay Hunter might be the star of the show, so you'll want to tune into that on on Tuesday, and we will we will get through Lonesome Dove and figure out what the hell was going on in the show. Hey, a few other things. Uh, John and I are going to be returning to the Toronto Mike podcast tomorrow, aren't we? That's true. Yes, that show will be up. Actually, I think you can even watch it live. We're going to be on Tuesday at noon, uh, and then they'll they'll have the show up later that day. So uh, I had a great time doing that that show last year. So they invited us back. So we're going to be doing that Tuesday at noon. Uh, anything yeah, else? We'll you- just be a bit of a, a bit of a general chat about everything that's going on. I'm sure catching up on on our lives during the pandemic. Um, it'll be a fun fun conversation. Yeah. As well, one other plug. This just came out. Oh. Episode 49 of the PWT cast features the one and only WH Park talking with our, our uh, friend Scrump and Stank uh, and maybe even a cameo from a certain man from New Jersey. So you can listen to that right now at PWT cast. Yes. Go, go check that out. And <laughs> right off the top, get WH's impression of uh, North American wrestling fans versus Japanese wrestling fans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, my God. Uh, just uh, Mr. Japan, WH Park, uh, the best. Uh, so there you go. Check out a lot, a lot of great shows uh, to find out there in the world. Uh, so go listen to all of them and then make your way back here. So we'll speak with you Tuesday night uh, after we chat about Lonesome Dove and then Wednesday following Dynamite. So uh, oh, quite a contrast. Um. Well, we... You don't know. I mean, there's cowboys on Dynamite. That's true. Hangman Page could Some maybe... real cowboy shit. That's Bret Hart is the original cowboy shit. Yeah, maybe we need a storyline where Hangman Page has a special elixir and all of AEW starts to come down sick and some people mysteriously die. I haven't watched the episode yet. Oh, well, with that said, goodbye, everyone.